Hello, and welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm neither Jack McEnroy nor my co-host Steve Walsh, but they're both here. It's a Christmas miracle. Hello. Hello, Paul. Um, thank you very much for joining me on your podcast. Um, <laughs> it's been 10 years since you decided to make a podcast about South London. Uh, you very kindly invited me on uh, to interview you both about the podcast and uh, about, you know, your lives. Um, Jack, when you were working on the door at the comedy store and really in with Kinnison. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh. Just uh, so I guess my first question is take us, take us the, the deeply committed fan base of South London Hardcore back to 2011 and the um in fact take us even further back than that could you tell us a little bit about the origin of your friendship with one another yeah so i i worked in waterstones in oxford street oh gosh i didn't used to say the name of the, the shop did i i mean we all knew <laughs> we all knew what the shop was it wasn't it? We all, i think we all suspected it was the only bookshop that exists <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was working this in uh, Oxford Street Waterstones and they knocked it down to build uh, Tottenham Court Road Tube Station or to extend it and then they moved us to Piccadilly so on my second so I went my first day went to work on the third floor where the mind body and spirit and sport and film and everything is went on my first day when my second day Steve wasn't in but you know he was talked up you know went on my second day and jumped down the stairs and snapped a tendon in my ankle so so I did so a, a month passed before I came back and actually met Steve in this time I think Steve had formed an opinion of uh the kind of long-haired uh everyone was like, yeah. everyone was like uh, did you about this guy Jack who started I was like no no he went he jumped Seamus like uh he jumped down the stairs and broke his ankle I was like what an idiot <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh but then, no, obviously, then eventually I did come back and we hit it off very quickly. I remember I came back and I was sitting down on a fold up chair to at the till because of um, because of uh, the injury, of course. And Steve made a crack about with my hair and my build being around fold up chairs was not a great idea, which I didn't get. It was a WWE wrestling joke. I didn't actually get right. it the first time. <laughs> but I appreciate it after. Um, and yeah, became quick friends. And then by within about. 15 months 16 months i had asked steve to be the best man at my wedding which was a sort of very quick turnaround isn't it from being the kind of idiot jumped down the stairs i mean that's that is a whirlwind romance if you you know if you're if you're asking someone to marry you after that long people are going like you sure um what's what's your first uh memory of jack steve it was coming behind the hill and seeing this Long-haired doofus, chair, looking a bit sheepish, uh, and uh, explaining that he can't actually walk around and do anything. And I was like, "What's the point with this guy? What is he? What's he going to bring to the game?" And um, the answer was loads more than I ever could have expected. That's sweet, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, it's lovely. And <laughs> a few years after that, you were. You could walk and you chose to use that power to walk down the old Kent Road and throw a video on top of a bus stop. So. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, with great power comes uh, great responsibility. But yeah, so we started in 2011. So that was 2000 and that was like January the 4th or 5th, 2009, when I started working at um, that shop. Or was it 2010? No, 2009. And then 2011, 
after I'd been at Waterstones for five years, Steve had been there for what, nine or something. And wow. in the sort of spring, I got fired, Steve left to go and work at Gosh. And then we sort of, so we obviously we had the wedding was after that. And we were seeing each other regularly as friends, just friends at that point. <laughs> and yeah, that's when you get to the. Do you, how do you, do you remember the the conversations around the podcast, Steve? I do. I remember it was like basically it was your idea, and your impetus was, oh, uh, I think we should do a podcast that would give us an excuse to hang out. And I was like, that's a great idea. It will give us an excuse to hang out because the thing is, I said before. With the best will in the world, when you do leave a job, you do sort of say to people, oh, I'll see you, we'll go for a drink and we'll do this. And you, and you don't. You just you just don't. But if you, uh, if you set up uh, a podcast, uh, you know, you set up a Twitter account and... <laughs> yeah, a Podbean account. You're attached, <laughs> aren't you? And yeah. you've... Uh, uh, you've sort of like uh, made plans to do particular shows, then you're going to have to stick to that schedule at least for a little while, aren't you? So we did. So, Jack, when you thought, let's start a podcast, what podcast were you listening to a lot of at the time? So it was, yeah, it was late 2011. Jay Moore's podcast had just started, More Stories, which has since fallen by the wayside. But it felt like a kind of, Marin competitor for a while you know it had the same sort of guests you know of, of well particularly the kind of American stand-up comedians that you know you're kind of Norm Macdonald's and but then people like Tom Segura and Colin Quinn and stuff and but our friends crucially our friends Jim and Phil uh, Jim has been on the show a few times uh, Jim Hall they started a podcast called Midnight Video which like you know they used to watch three movies a week or whatever is obscure films and talk about them. I mean, those are the ones. And and I, I don't, I'm not sure I was listening to WTF at that point. But those were the things where and Kevin, some of Kevin Smith's podcasts probably. I think you might be listening to WTF. I think it was a sort of a sort of the sort of thing that you'd reference to me in terms of the idea of the show, the tone of the show. Uh, yeah, and the Guardian Football. Uh, I don't really think of it as being like an influence, but. Um, <laughs> That was that. Um, I was listening to that like twice a week, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, how much did you care about South London before you started doing the podcast? And I'd like you both to answer that question because I wonder if the answers would be different. The concept of South London, the, I mean, obviously the geog the geography and the places and the people would have mattered. But did you, did you have a sense of transpontine and identity in your heart? before you started doing the show and did it change over the life of the show? I would say I had a vague uh transpon identity, transpontine identity, but it absolutely grew as the, we took the show on and it became something that I would nurture and encourage to grow within my heart. So Yeah, I, I think for me there's definitely a part of it was kind of manufactured a bit. Mm. Um, but like so Louis Peckham who's our friend at Waterstones continues to be our friend he he used to draw that logo with himself on it with the X and the SLHC like New York Hardcore DC Hardcore and just do South London Hardcore he'd write it on walls in the basement of Waterstones <laughs> um, and it sort of came it, it came really from that like 
you know, they make me think, yeah, we are South London. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, as Steve says, suddenly you start doing the show, and immediately, I mean, from like day one, you'd be like, oh, this is from South London. That's from South London. You know, we're compiling the playlist early on and stuff, and all that kind of South London stuff. Really, for me, like, I mean, it was if there was sort of a, a drop of it, you know, before. I mean, it's you know, I'm full to the brim now. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's interesting listening to it and not having... Because I, I listened to the show because we knew each other on Twitter, Jack, and I just, I remember seeing tweets about it and not really paying much attention to it because, you know, your friends have podcasts and it's like eventually all your friends have podcasts and you've got to pick and choose, haven't you? And I, I, I remember you saying something like, um, some some tweet that was just like, we put a lot of work into this and, you know, it was something, it was like, please give it a listen sort of sort of a tweet where it, there please. was a sin- but yeah the, but there was a, like an honest sincerity to it which i found moving and it was the boxing episode and i have i don't care about boxing at all um i don't had i didn't have any relationship with south london as a place and then but i was just completely enraptured by the vibe and i remember tweeting at you going i really like the vibe of the show and you making fun of me for using the word vibe. <laughs> 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 um, and uh and then the next episode is the blue plaque episode and i think that's that's because that is an all-time classic the the blue plaque episode where you go through the individual blue plaques and then you give out your own um, mm. This wasn't this wasn't the question I was leading into, but I guess I have to ask it. Any regrets about being that nice about John Major on that episode? Yeah, so there, I do have sort of regrets about that, right? Because especially like I've seen people say things about him demonising single mothers, particularly as like specific things he did badly. But I re-listened to. So we talked about ten episodes. I don't know if we if if that was meant to be behind the scenes, Paul. But no, you no, know, so no. I re-listened to nine of them. And with this one, I was worried that I was too kind to John Major. But when we listen to it, we just take the opportunity to just go on for ages about how much we hate Thatcher, how much we hate Cameron. <laughs> like, we re- we went so much further than I remembered. And I'm, all, I'm somebody who's sort of quite self-conscious about my kind of ability to put political points together. So I would put it on and I was really concerned that I was going to come across as like kind of basic and uh not you know not and also not as sort of as socialist as i am you know i, I thought what well, was i a bit softer then but then we really went for it and you know steve equally i think we say about john major really that we acknowledge the working class roots but we i mean we definitely do say he's not as bad as cameron and may yeah I which think, i think is true but we, we don't think there are any good tories we should add <laughs> we deliberately phrased it into it being uh the least hated prime minister of our lifetime which to be fair also folded in blair and brown quite nicely who did did also uh plenty to portray uh the working class uh politics of the uk so i stand by that i think we were very very deliberate in how we phrased it and i think we were very accurate in how we phrased it john major is the least hated prime minister of any of our lifetimes because uh the rest of them like if you look now johnson is despised um theresa may was despised uh you know that all the others have fallen flat uh and come crashing down to earth whereas 
John Major, by virtue of never flying that high, (laughs) 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 is uh, relatively unscathed. I think it's absolutely amazing that you were worried you wouldn't come across socialists enough to listen to <laughs> this show. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, never really sure about their political leanings, you know. It's, it's a bit ambivalent. <laughs> there was some periods where um, we, we did about 10 to 15 shows in a row, and every single one we ended up doing a rant about the sun, whether it was like <laughs> related or not. We just ended up going, and the thing about the sun is, and I was like, why are we doing this again now? <laughs> oh, yeah, because the sun's awful. Yeah. Um, so when you started, did you think, hey, we're going to do 150-odd episodes of this? <laughs> I don't know if I thought that far ahead, but there is, a, I mean, a sort of, more, you know, there's a comment in one of those ones I re-listened to where I say, we're going to do this until we die. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of it is kind of tied up with us, you know, trying to make films and continue to try and make films with uh, very little success. But, um, you know, so at the time, it was sort of something that sort of competed with other interests. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. What about you, Steve? Yeah, well, this is it. Like, if you said to me at the start you'll do 150 of these. I'd have gone, all right, fair enough. But if you just said to me at that time, you'll do 10 to 15 of these and then Jack will get sick of doing all the editing and you'll be there. <laughs> you'll never learn how to edit. And I've gone, fair enough. Yeah, it's more so at the end, really. It's funny, at the end, we we kind of called time on it. I'm sure I'm jumping ahead a bit here, Paul, but it was like, I think I said to, I don't remember, maybe I misremember exactly how it went, but I think I said to Steve, I think that should be our last one. And then it kind of was, wasn't it? Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we'd already gone down to every other week and, you know, Steve had a book that he was writing and I had a baby come in um, and I was trying to, again, focus more on film stuff and just, I stopped doing the Dulwich podcast about, you know, not long before. But it was like, oh, should we stop doing it? And then we just stopped doing it, like, immediately. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where it could have, it sort of could have gone, it was never, there was never a long-term plan, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Apart from, you know, five episodes in advance of like, oh, we should do something about Catford. <laughs> got, to, got to do something about Catford, didn't you? Um, <laughs> the, uh, one of the lovely things as, as somebody who loves the show is it went away and it's like very sad and like one of your kind of, you know, there are some podcasts that you subscribe to and you don't listen. I don't listen to every Marin, for example. I kind of pick and choose. Um and there are some podcasts that you kind of think, oh, I'll get to that when I've got a bit of time. And there are some where you see a new episode and you're like, yeah, boom, download, going to listen to that today before I do anything else. And Saddle Under Hardcore was always that for me. And um, one of the really nice things is you did a terrible job at stopping um, because <laughs> you, you've, you've come back, what, three times with little mini series in between. What's been the impetus to kind of pick up the microphones again and, and record stuff again? Unfinished business. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like Steve says about the, uh, or maybe I'm, I'm imagining answers I've rehearsed actually, but like you know about your kind of relationship that you build. And actually, Paul, listening to your um, your farewell podcast earlier in the week is it's exactly the same. Is that what came out of the podcast is my relationship with Steve. We had a great time of like we spent more time together than I spent with any of my other friends. That that is the the memory, and that was the that was a big part of the impetus to return. Um, but it was also, it was quite a, 
there was a kind of relief, a burden was removed by not having to do it every week or two weeks. Not that it was ever particularly that, but like once that went away and we'd had, I think we, we initially probably had a year or two off, didn't we? Or whatever it turns out to, maybe it was a year. Um, and then it was just, oh, should we do this one? And then you just release okay. it and then you're there the week. There's also like things would pop up. Like I can't shake off, the, like I was saying to you earlier, Paul, is that I'm reading Revolution in the Head at the moment, the Ian MacDonald book, and discovered that he's from South London and immediately opened up a Google document and started typing details about his life. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just sort of, a, it, it's something that I kind of, I'll sort of never, never, is in me now forever. It's changed who I, I am. I mean, I, not I, not necessarily in a major way, but certainly in a kind of local identity way. Like when, we listen, when I listen back to the um, episode with um, Wolfgang Moneypenny, you know, AKA now Stratton Rovers, um, <laughs> he talks about South London in a, in a, in a way that is, I don't know how much of it was a joke. Well, obviously the bit where he says, drain the Thames <laughs> is a joke. <laughs> but I, I, I kind of, I, I wasn't taking it very seriously then, but definitely now I sort of have an identity that that is closer to that than it was, you know. Mm. Um. So could you let us behind the scenes? You, you mentioned opening up a Google Doc and starting to type things. Steve, could you... I've, I I was lucky enough to... Um, I'd completely forgotten that I have been on two episodes of South London Hardcore previously. Because um, I didn't remember that we talked about Chris Smalling on an episode and how an end of year roundup where you asked me how how Man United players were doing. I had this idea, right, that we were going to do this. So give us give us a list of 10 episodes to listen to that kind of encapsulate the show. It wasn't enough for me. I've listened to that. I, I listened to the 10. I listened to a, like probably at least five more episodes, including the <laughs> South London 11 one, where there was some disappointment. You, you said if Chris Morley doesn't end up in the South London 11 by the end of his career, it's going to be a disappointment. And I think it's very... It's very on the fence at best at yeah. this point whether he'd make it in. Um, but anyway, uh, I I was lucky enough to be on a on a show proper. We did the the book club um, about the P.G. Woodhouse book and the Raymond Chandler book, which are both they're just such good books. It felt so. I was very l- lucky to come and be on one of my favourite podcasts to talk about two of my favorite books it was that was pretty cool um but so i was lucky enough to see some of the i saw the, the binder with notes steve there was <laughs> there was there was work that went into these episodes it was not just two people reading wikipedia entries out loud um so how how would you go about thinking about an episode say you're doing a, a an area-based episode what was your kind of process to be honest wikipedia be the first <laughs> <laughs> no point denying that is it? um but it was also but i would also say as well with wikipedia we've often sort of like you know described ourselves as reading things out of wikipedia but that's i think that's doing a, a massive disservice to the amount of uh clicking on hyperlinks within wikipedia pages <laughs> to expand yeah. on the information as much as possible <laughs> which was key the breadth of even in those in those ten episodes, so we you tried to give us a kind of overview of different sorts of episodes. There was a a local news one and a playlist one, of course, because there would have to be. Uh, yeah, by the way, like Stephen Graham is very up there in list of people oh. that I would be over familiar with if I met in real life, <laughs> assuming that we were already friends. Mm. <laughs> um, he, loved, he would love that. 
<laughs> yeah, he's such a generous spirited guy, Paul. You'd get on very well. That's nice to know. Um, that those those playlist episodes are such ridiculous fun because um he brings something to those he brings a he thinks about music differently than i guess most people think about music right Hmm. well he's he's the thing is he's a legit theorist and lecturer so you know we have our own sort of bratty upstart energy with these things but steven sort of comes along and he'll sort of go well, it's a, it's a, there's a, it's an interesting counterpoint there, and you're like, is there? <laughs> there must be. Um, but it's great because he is so effortless, effortlessly knowledgeable, and I mean that in the sense of he wears it lightly. He doesn't come in and sort of like throw a ton of uh, long words at you just to baffle you and try and impress you. Everything he's saying has a, a point and a purpose. Yeah. Um. The one of the things that's interesting about the breadth of work is your two kind of uh, you obviously have a, a big overlap of cultural interest, the two of you, which presumably is one of the reasons you became friends in the first place. But you also have uh, things that are, I I would say, listening are kind of more one of yours than the other, like a different level of involvement. Comics is a brilliant example. Right in the comics episode, Jack, I think you talked about owning one box of comics um yeah. steve i imagine you've owned more than one box of comics in your life <laughs> <laughs> um and and film jack is obviously something you're like ultra ultra passionate about um what would you say are the biggest areas of kind of overlap but also of kind of specific personal interest where you kind of are further off different ends of the spectrums which are what's the things that with the most similarities and the most kind of differences Yes, I think you see in the show where we let, there's times where I let Steve um, just do the uh, kind of introduce, I mean, the old joke of we get the name uh, Lambeth from the landing place of lambs or whatever, because I don't care. (laughs) No, I do care. I do care. I remember that accurately, obviously. But um, Steve's definitely a bit more um, studious than me. Um, And... I think there's, I sort of come across, I think it kind of probably comes across like I've done less, less homework than I have. And that's sort of partly deliberate, probably. But um, there's definitely, there's definitely the kind of area of uh, like the actual real history, you right. know, with kind of let Steve, but, and also Steve is much more interested in uh, like, uh, well, yeah, there's a one episode where I'm joking, calling him the myth bunker rather than debunker. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but you know, the, like you say, the kind of the political stuff is, um, it, it's like complete, we're sort of in complete unison on those things. Um, but I think we both just had, we had a similar level of enthusiasm, really. I mean, it was like really a harmonious, hmm. harmonious, you know, we did, there was no, there was never any like, it, we never had any kind of harsh words, Steve, have we? I no, mean, literally no. ever. No, no, no. Impossible. That's nice, isn't it? The closest I got was probably that first day at Waterstones where I was like, this Egypt throwing himself down the stairs. Is he playing that? But then but then he just he, he smiled at me and I was like, Do you know what? Maybe he's all right. <laughs> From there on it was like just sunshine and flowers. Yeah, exactly. You had some incredible guests on the show. Um I you said you listened to nine of the ten. Was the one that you didn't get to Manfred Mann? Yeah, it was. It was actually. Yeah, that's a. How wild, did you know? That's a. That's a wild episode. Um, uh, <laughs> um, 
Okay, yeah, I'm just going to ask this first and then go on to what I was going to say. So, um, why did you pick Manfred Mann as one of the episodes that stood out for you? Well, I picked that one because we sort of, we were having a conversation about which ones we'd pick. And it was, we both had the same idea of like, it needs to be represented. Don't just pick your favourites. Like I like the Stanley Kubrick archive. That's my favourite place to go. That was, a, I thought it was amazing to do it. I can't really talk objectively about how good the show was, but I was like, we've talked about that enough and I'll bring it up anyway, as I am now. <laughs> but we've, so so we, needed a, we needed a kind of celebrity guest episode and Alan Moore is only on briefly. It's like 20 minutes, isn't it? Right. And Ken Loach is 10 minutes. Both of those were really exciting to do. And that kind of leaves Manfred Mann. And I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, I grew up knowing the band Manfred Mann. Yeah. Like my dad would play them. So it felt like a bit, like a kind of big, like, wow, we went to Manfred Mann's house and did it. Um, and the reason I didn't listen to it, I was just about to. And, you know, as we might have said on the show, we've definitely said at one point, is that when we got there, he thought we were Virgin Media. And he was like annoyed that we weren't here to fix the router and sort of just walked away from us and let us follow him into his house. We had this huge mural of, I can't remember what, but in the doorway. And he was quite kind of, he was very grumpy. And then I asked him a question at the beginning and he grumpily answered about, um, I said, what was it like going from apartheid South Africa to Woolworth? And he goes, well, it wasn't Woolworth, it was England. It's like, yeah, obviously that's like implied in the question, Manfred. But then as the interview goes on, as I remember it, I sort of reveal that I really love like the Mighty Quinn and 54321 and he warms up and it's so much so that after we finish rolling he's you know it ends with him playing the piano for us which I which I did, wasn't prepared for and put the the record on the piano and it sounds terrible but after recording, he's talking about getting, he's telling us off mic about getting all his news from Reddit. That's where the real news is. He's saying about how the Beatles ruined everything because they wrote all their songs and now everyone else had to. So, but basically I, I didn't want to go back and listen to it and have the memory spoiled. I've, I've condensed that memory to just him not being too moody. <laughs> you, you made an excellent decision. So I was, was going to start this interview by saying, if you've listened to the Manfred Man interview, please don't just negate every question I ask you immediately. At one point you say to him, 54321's a catchy song. And he goes, no, it isn't. <laughs> it's like, come on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, who was your favourite person that you spoke to on the show, Steve? Uh, I would say probably Kevin O'Neill, just because that was quite sort of symptomatic of uh, like I was very like like growing up. I knew Kevin O'Neill from two thousand AD comics and other British comics, and then when I got to work in Gosh, he would come in and drop off artwork mm. to be scanned. Uh, for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen book he was doing with Alan Moore at the time that was being published by Josh from Gosh. So while I was there, um, I got to know Kevin O'Neill and like he would genuinely come in once or twice a week and come in and go, hi, oh, Steve, how's it going? Like, oh, hi, Kevin, how's it going? And we'd have a little chat and became not friends, but friendly, you know. Yeah. Um, and then asked him to come on the show and him coming on the show and then chatting to him for the show uh, really sort of helped to solidify that for me. And it was, and also some genuinely uh, great stuff as well. Like there's a bit where he talks about um, 
his mum being uh, strafed by German fighter planes as she's trying to run down uh, is it Greenwich High Street. Um, Maybe it was it was that area, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, her getting away by the skin of her teeth, sort of thing. So it was nice where we got genuine good South London chat out of it, but also it was nice for me where I was like, yeah, it's uh, Kevin O'Neill I was talking to there. As if like we've known each other for years. Great. Yeah, because I was really a passenger in that episode and that was fine because I just, I was, I was the podcast producer, as I think, essentially, as it went on. I've, I've not really listened to it, but I just remember from the time. But like, you get, that feels like almost a genesis for process a little bit, Steve. I'm yeah. sure it probably wasn't exactly, but you know, Steve's like one of the, most knowledgeable comics people around and just a brilliant comics interviewer you know we didn't really do we did conversations on the podcast didn't we really with with guests rather than interviews i would say generally but you've gone on to do like great comics interviews with people like pat mills and and and, you know other owen pomery you know (laughs) other people um and that felt like a bit of a genesis you know to sit there and I, i was just enjoying listening to getting really interesting stuff from the pair of them that I was not qualified to add to, basically. <laughs> and and presumably your favourite person that you spoke to for the podcast was Rio Ferdinand, Jack? <laughs> <laughs> Denied, yeah. Uh, <laughs> nah, I'm all right, he said. <laughs> it was, there was this, there's a p- picture of it, of you <laughs> at Dulwich Hamlet asking Rio Ferdinand to be on the show and he's just said no and someone takes a picture and somebody tweets you can see the exact moment his heart breaks yeah, <laughs> oh, did you perfect, tweet that yourself <laughs> no no somebody somebody yeah. did that that is actually yeah. that is perfect but you know we caught I ended up speaking to um Ethan Pinnock who is now a Brentford centre-back playing every week in the Premier League yeah interviewed him at Dulwich and he was you know much more much more approachable but now if I was to say my who's my favourite to ever speak to I mean obviously Steve obviously Stephen Graham it's really exciting to have like have Hassan on there I know it probably seems like a joke to people but <laughs> I just really want it you Hassan's on the first episode you listen to boxing yeah and then we get him on again for um for an episode about his school, Emmanuel, where the guy who invented the World Wide Web went. <laughs> um, but that's kind of, that kind of, you know, we got Louis Peckham on, on like about episode five. But being able to like get those friends on and then get something good out of it was like yeah. so, you know, it's just so, it's fun in a different way, you know. Um, I, I googled South London Hardcore to see what came up um, in preparation for this show and the first thing that i saw was a new statesman link and i was like oh new statesman and i, I clicked on it, it was like by rob pollard oh yeah of course of course it is that's yeah story checks out um and then uh daniel ruiz tyson wrote a, a a beautiful uh blog about yourselves um when you came back uh which is he's obviously someone that's been on the show and you guys have a podcast relationship with um it, it it's uh there's a kind of there's a there's a, a number of names and you mentioned the name Owen Pomery there's there's a collection of names which ring out on South London Hardcore all the way through which gives it this sense of like South London Hardcore cinematic universe <laughs> <laughs> um which I'm uh, very happy to be a small part of um <laughs> a sort of Ant-Man figure um <laughs> uh <laughs> um what kind of episodes did you enjoy doing the most 
because uh, let me just do this. I'm just going to do, we've mentioned this list of 10 episodes. So the Ele- Elephant and Castle, which is episode two, which is mostly a review of a Polish restaurant. It's, it's, <laughs> but it's very, very specific Polish restaurant chat for a good, I would say a good 20 minutes of that episode yeah, is right. Elephant and Castle brackets specific Polish restaurant. Um, Southwark Estates on screen, which is very interesting and is obviously a bit of a snapshot in time as well because of the the changing nature of the physical geography of the area mm. uh, wolfgang money penny which is an episode that i didn't remember i think i did listen to it because i went back and listened to them all um but i laughed so much during this episode and he was one of those people where um he says a lot of stuff where you're like yeah 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 i agree wait what sorry what was that <laughs> <laughs> um the comments... yeah with 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 robert you know the wolfgang money penny uh, yeah. i think we can say his real name now um, like he was like an oddball that sort of that Steve wanted to have on, or it appeared to be like this kind of oddball mayoral candidate. Uh, Steve was like, we should get this guy on. And I sort of, not reluctantly, but I definitely was very much Steve's idea. And I was like, okay, we'll see, see how it goes. And I don't think I was keeping up with everything he was saying at the time necessarily. I was definitely listening back and going, wow, it's really out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's gone on to just do, I think the Stratton Rovers stuff is like ge- genius. Yeah. Um, he's done, he does, and it, you know, speaking of extended universe, I mean, he, he's got uh, plenty of other stuff going on. But Steve, let me let you answer the actual question. What episodes did you like doing? <laughs> is that the question I'm answering now? Yeah, so like what kind, um, I, I'd, we'd then we'd listen to the comics episode, the one about Barnes, um, one that we'll come back to, uh, Xavier Arrives and Other Local News, which I think in the end is probably my favourite episode ever of South London Hardcore, because <laughs> um, it's uh, it's quite special for lots of reasons. Um, Blue Plaques, South London a- Playlist, and you picked Volume 3, Elliot School. Uh, the chap from Fridge was on that episode with you. I guess that's the reason you picked that particular playlist episode, is it? Well, I, I picked that one because... Sam from Fridge is also my cousin's husband. Ah. So it's this bizarre thing where it's the I mean, the first thing that always comes to mind with these guests is access. You have access to ask someone if they'll come on the show. And the thing is, Sam is such a lovely guy. Uh and he did come on, he was very generous with his time and we did get some really good stuff out of him. And he was very good at talking about the other bands and acts that were there at the time and the other musicians. Um but also uh, and similar to uh, Stephen Graham, he's someone who knows his stuff but isn't going to try and batter you with it. He's not going to try and hammer you down and go, do you see that I know everything about this now? He was just he just wore it all very lightly and we really enjoyed talking to him. Or well, I certainly enjoyed talking to him. I don't know about Jack. He can never talk about anything. Such a <laughs> I mean, I really enjoyed listening. That's an it's an absolute treat. That episode, it really is. It's uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Although incredibly disparaging about the only band on the playlist that I'd heard of, um, which was the Maccabees. Um, <laughs> 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 Pelican's an absolute banger. You lot are crazy. Anyway, um, Old Kent Road, and then the 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 quite remarkable Manfred Mann episode, where the piano recording is 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 not that bad. You can you can hear what he's doing and. He starts playing. Oh, a, we'll go back. Yeah, he starts playing a, a different version of um, uh, "We Will We Will Rock You." His, his a very yeah. Soft. That was the thing that threw me. The idea that we were sitting in Manfred Mann's music room, and he was like basically deconstructing pop classics in front of us and explaining why they worked in this way and how they work in other ways. 
And I was like, good Lord, this is like some sort of VH1 behind the music special. Only we're here live <laughs> with Manfred Mann. And there's something about that, which is, um, sorry, I will come back to the, the question I, I uh, am trying to ask. But there's something about that, which is super cool and speaks to something that um, uh, was in one of the, the write-ups I read about the show, which is that you definitely predicted the rise of podcasting, but didn't necessarily predict that the industry would be dominated like now mm. podcasting. I, I, you know, we were talking about my football show for a while. Like our show was a, a reasonably big football show in relative terms, but it's tiny because the industry of podcasting has completely changed. So um, the fact that you kind of predicted the rise of this medium, but not necessarily that it wouldn't be the kind of, interesting independent podcasts that grow to be the kind of dominant things in the platform and actually it's going to be spotify originals and you know all of that stuff that is the other and conan o'brien i mean i, I like conan o'brien this podcast great but you know famous tv people do podcasts they get loads more people listening to them yeah, yeah. that and for some reason murder which i definitely didn't <laughs> see that coming no, that murder would be the thing um but uh that moment with Manfred Mann speaks to something incredibly cool about the fact that you two just did this and what can happen if you just do something and just try. I'm like, how did you get in touch with Manfred Mann in the first place? <laughs> did, you, um, did you ring him up and say, we'll come and fix your internet? <laughs> um, no, I think I, I think I've found his email on his website and emailed him as like as as straightforward as that. Um, and, you know, we, we got close to Ginger Baker that way. You know, I emailed with his daughter and she sort of sussed us out whether we were sort of going to be bringing up the old myths about him going broke and then, you know, blowing his money on polo horses. And I was like, no, we'll just speak to him about whatever he wants to speak about. And then she gave me his email address and then he never replied. And obviously, you know, he's uh, since died. Um, but, yeah, no, we just we just went out and, and did it, really. And we... You know, obviously, with someone like Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill, you know, we had those. There were contacts that we had, but you know, it really the show we drove each other. Really, you know, it's so difficult to. You know, you see people they start a blog and they do two and then they stop, or they do a podcast and they do two and they stop. But we really we drove each other, and it was partly you just wanted to you know hang out and stuff and be friends. But it was definitely like right, this is a. It was like a job in a way you know you you turn up and then you do the thing and then you put it out and as someone as i say who's tried to make films something that takes years to do it's like so sad and you know this paul of course it's so satisfying to sit down and spend a few you know a few hours in preparation and then a couple hours recording or whatever it happens to be and then you put the thing out into the world and that's a piece of work that you've put out i mean i loved that side of it and that's really what um really what kind of kept it going i suppose for for so long mm. so what were your favorite kinds of episodes to record and um steve i want to start with you on that one uh i think the playlists generally were a joy because also as well a big part of the fun there was doing the initial dig where you'd sort of well first of all you'd sort of like keep your keep your ears open and sort of go is that a reference to peckham it is yeah right, okay is that what does that mean? It means that. And then it was also you'd sort of read interviews and you'd be like, uh, be like the fifteen best new grime artists from London in twenty fifteen. You're like, 
Well, some of them have got to be from South London. There you go. There's one. So, and it was things like that. So there was all the fun of finding the material and then sifting for it all and choosing uh, favourites. And then obviously, then obviously it's a playlist. So you are putting together music for people, which is always fun, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to be boring, Paul, and just give the exact same answer. No, it's all right. <laughs> because it's, Fine, it's, it's just, it's so, I just love to be around, obviously, Steve. That's taken for granted, isn't it? But like, <laughs> to be around Stephen Graham is just, he's, you know, it is exactly what you hear on the um, on the show. It's like, and it's what's so much fun is like, is just being able to be spontaneous about it. You know, you go through and you've got a list of like place uh, things about uh, an area. There's room for spontaneity, and we always had a great laugh and stuff. But you, when you don't know what the other person's going to say or what their opinion is going to be on this thing, it just it was it's just so full of life, you know. That's how I felt about it. And that's why I kind of, I've got a document with like about 45 more South London songs that we're like not going to get to. Um, but I just like continue to add to it because I imagine what um, Steve and Stephen might say, but I can't imagine what they'll say because it's so unpredictable. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm just going to indulge myself with a personal anecdote here, which is that I I, re- I was making Christmas dinner one year and I listened to a playlist episode. So what my assumption had been all along is that there must have been one that dropped on a Christmas Eve or something like that. I looked through the whole list where the playlist episodes, they weren't. I just decided the most Christmassy <laughs> thing that I could imagine to do while making Christmas dinner was listen to a, a playlist episode because uh, they are they're they're full of joy and and you know if people are discovering slhc late then and you know dipping into the back catalogue just make sure you you check out those playlist episodes because they're they are they're pure joy yeah those are the ones i recommend to be honest if people ask me yeah um so uh i guess we should wrap up fairly soon although honestly i could keep asking you questions about this for a really long long time uh what were the coolest places you saw or buildings or things or you know uh, things in the physical geography that you came into contact with that maybe you either things that you already knew and loved and getting to talk about them was a was a joy or things that were kind of a new discovery for you and um it, yeah either one of you can jump in with that one I'll go, Steve, to give you a chance to think. Yeah, go for it. Like, well, this is one. This is why I picked the Barnes episode, really. Um, the Wetland Centre, yeah? <laughs> uh, sort of everything but the Wetland Centre. <laughs> 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 it's like, a, it was an area, you know, I, we, we, I think we say this on the show, but like, we've been doing a few episodes where, certainly Steve was saying this to me the other day, where we were talking about Lambeth from Southwark and Lewisham, you know, three boroughs that take up, you know, I don't know, a quarter, less than a quarter of South London, maybe. And we needed to get out. And I'd never been to, I don't think I'd ever been to Barnes. And it was just so, it was so rich. There was like so much there. And it's so beautiful. It's, you know, it's like a moneyed area. So, you know, it is what it is. But you get off the train out the river. You've got like this, like, you've like a lovely town square with a pond and stuff. You've got the wetland centre. You've got great charity shops. You know, the spot where Mark Boland died is kind of, that's the sort of thing that I'm drawn to. I found it, you know, you sit there with the, uh, there's loads of candles and stuff and the tree that you actually hit. It's quite, you know, it's quite a moving thing. But also like Olympic, to go to Olympic Studios and go, hang on a minute, like Hendrix recorded like my favourite stuff I would take to Desert Island Disc. I could take, Three of the songs were recorded in that building. 
And like even just to, we were talking about get back earlier, Paul, and uh, just any opportunity to bring it up. But like <laughs> Glenn Johns, after those recording sessions at Apple every day, Glenn Johns went to Olympic Studios to do the mix where mm. it would be till like two o'clock in the morning. And then the next day they would, you know, they didn't have mixing facilities at the Apple, Apple studio in uh, Savile Row. Like, so it's still, you know, I'm still thinking of that. I'm watching this stuff. I'm watching the, the get back documentary, trying to find the little uh, South London links, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I put, I put Barnes high up on the list. And as I've said, I keep continue to say, go in holding Stanley Kubrick's table tennis bat and like seeing the books Stanley Kubrick had on his shelf and the, a box that says ape sounds and it's just a load of reel-to-reel tapes of apes that he had <laughs> shoe covers from barry Lyndon in the stanley kubrick archive i didn't already say it was so so thrilling i mean that, that is you know all work and no play makes jack a dull boy the actual pages in yeah. the elephant castle yeah so same question to you steve yeah i mean i would be tempted to go for the stanley kubrick archive which was absolutely thrilling because also again there was that moment of revelation where it was like, oh, right, all of Stanley Kubrick's stuff is in The Elephant and Castle. Yeah. That's really, and I spent about the next month telling everyone I met that Stanley Kubrick's stuff is in The Elephant and Castle and you can just make an appointment and go and see it. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> um, and it was uh, a phenomenal experience. And I've never been back since. <laughs> yeah, me um, I think for me personally as well, um, there was a big, a big sort of visceral joy in going to Dulwich Hamlet with you, Jack, because obviously you are much more deeply connected to the club than I am. So I'd, I'd go along and sort of like, you know, we'd sort of watch the game and sort of see the players and stuff. But also it was nice sort of seeing... Uh, you with your dad and with other like f- friends and acquaintances from the club, just chatting to you so casually, uh, and then making a fuss over you. I was like, "Oh right, this is really nice." Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Paul obviously captured some of that on um, on video when he made a little documentary about fathers and sons at football. Right. And uh, right, my dad, right. in his usual obstinate way, just was like, "Nope, I'm not going to do that." Interviewed me alone on the terrace, (laughs) saying reluctantly saying nice things about my absent father. (laughs) It's um, it's very funny because I so there's a film. It's still out there. It's on the the Athletic own it now. Um, it's still on uh, Tifo's YouTube channel. Um, so uh, yeah, it's called The Grip of His Hand, and it's like if it's, it's a nice little film. But it's quite soppy. And I interviewed Jack for a solid half an hour and he said three soppy things, which were the things that I put in. <laughs> uh, but it was, yeah, it, that was the tone. It, it was cool, though, because, um, you know, we, we turned up. You talk about, like, people making a fuss of Jack at Dulwich Hamlet. Jack just rocks up at Dulwich Hamlet like, yeah, I'm sure this is going to be fine that we're going to be able to shoot an interview. Nobody's there. Like, the guy that runs the gym... Jack says, "Can we can we just go and sit on the terrace for a bit? Yep, fine. So uh, <laughs> yeah, so we just got let in because you know South London royalty, isn't it? That's yeah. <laughs> I've got the keys to South London. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you can just shoot an interview at Dulwich Hamlet anytime you want. That's what the freedom of the city means. Um, mm. Obviously, the moment at which you reveal the 
um, the hello and goodbye um, <laughs> plaque on the radio on the radiator on the bench. Is that still? Is, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I said radiator. Is it still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I every time I, I'm in the area, which is you know now and then, I sort of if I'm nearby, I will do a little circuit, and it's. It's one of those things where no one's ever going to assume that it's not meant to be there. Yeah. Like you would ne- you'd never take it down, would you? No. You wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> so, someone like, even if you work for the council, right, and your job is plaques on benches, and you're looking at your database, like, but it's not in there. Yeah. Oh, someone's just forgotten, right? No one's no one's pirate putting plaques on on benches. Are any of the blue plaques that you put up still there? No. Funnily, because they're all they're all quite badly made really some of them photograph nicely it's like they're just they're paper and cardboard and stuff right but so we put one on the uh when we went out with rob pollard we put up one where the smiths had their last gig at brixton academy and my brother like years down the line at least three or four years down the line got a job working in the box office at brixton academy and like one day he's in there and he looks around so there's a, this blue plaque that we just stuck up on the side of the blue and left there is in the office at the <laughs> Prince Academy so I was like oh we'll keep that and it's in there which is nice isn't it yeah it's lovely um I I, I said this to you before we started recording but this is um I, I everyone that's ever listened to a podcast they care about knows this feeling it's something that I've been touched when people have said to me about our show and I think people are often self-conscious about saying it and I'm always able to like really reassure them that you don't have to be self-conscious I really understand this feeling which is like um we've met uh three times ever Jack Steve this is our, our second time meeting but I feel like you're definitely like two lifelong friends um and it's all because of uh spending hours and hours and hours and hours in your company uh, it's absolutely lovely company to be in it always felt warm welcoming um even though it's it's interesting because it's about a specific ge- geographic area there's absolutely nothing exclusionary about it whatsoever it's welcoming and diverse and it's a magic a document of a place and a time and a friendship um and yeah thank you so much for making it and thank you very much for inviting me to talk to you guys about it after 10 years and and before i go are there any questions that i didn't ask that you've been dying for someone to ask you about slhc (laughs) that you can speak out loud your imaginary answers to well let me say first paul that it's not completely one way because we do have a relationship online and um, I have listened to your Manchester United podcast when I was a football fan now and then. Um, and you're just such a positive force in the world. Uh, it's you, you always lift. I mean, if people have said this too many, they say it to every day, I bet. But you always, <laughs> I always feel, no, I always feel lifted up by you. So I'm really, I'm really pleased that you came out of podcast retirement. I mean, it's probably been a long week, hasn't it? Yeah, um, it's a solid <laughs> week. Of, I mean, I literally, I'm doing this to celebrate retiring from a podcast. That te- 10 years? You think 10 years is a milestone worth celebrating? <laughs> when did you start your podcast? Uh, like, uh, literally, like a year before yours. <laughs> it's not. It's not uh, 2009, we started. So yeah. I, I put this quote in my notes, right? Because it, it just kind of captures the time. It kind of goes back to your question about uh, the rise of podcasting. But the Jay Moore, uh, so Kevin Smith, the film director, was a kind of big podcasting pioneer, really. He just had loads of podcasts early on. Yeah. And he signed Jay Moore up. He said, you should do a podcast. And he get, got him, I don't know if you got in the mic, but he definitely hosted the show. And 
this quote, Jay Moore used to sort of paraphrase this Kevin Smith quote that I always thought was really great. This was in probably 2011, early, mid, mid 2011, probably. Um, and he's talking about where podcasting is at the moment, like as in about like as the wave already passed in 2011. I'm already behind on podcasts. <laughs> he says, um, it's like we're on our surfboards. You go, holy shit, look at this wave. We're all paddling, looking over our shoulders. We haven't even stood up yet. That's how right now podcasting is. We haven't even stood on the board yet. And like, that's so true, isn't it? Like you, in 2011, we hadn't stood on the board. The wave was like miles behind. Little did we know the wave would just go way past us. <laughs> Conan O'Brien would be on a surfboard. <laughs> it's so long ago that you talk about Twitter with a sort of positive energy. It's like that's easily listening back to it. It's easily the most dated thing on the show. It's just like there's a kind of general like sense of Twitter as a benign place of nice interactions, <laughs> um, which I don't think anyone uh, who spent the last 10 years on that platform would feel that way about it now. The um, the other thing I wanted to say is uh, you, we, we've got video on the go as we have this conversation and, and Xavier was in shot uh, uh, before we started recording and I've just listened to her first appearance on this show, episode 50, Xavier Arrives and Other Local News. Um, <laughs> uh, how... How does it feel that like your family's come like your life must have changed so much in the ten years since SLHC was born? It has, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah no, it's really that's really beautiful to listen back to actually because I didn't really, I didn't really, you know, a week after you have a baby or two weeks, wherever it is, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a sort of whirlwind time. So I didn't have a great memory about it, but we definitely thought that was the local news one to put on. And, you know, you can hear her, like, sort of gurgling or whatever she's doing in the background, which is really nice. <laughs> and it's probably the only time Lakeisha's, like, warm to me on the show. <laughs> you know, <laughs> rather than just, like, outright mocking me. Um, it's like, not, she's not antagonistic at all. There's one episode where she walks in and says, where's my dinner? Do you remember that? <laughs> just on the mic, on the microphone. Um, no, so it's lovely. And what's great is that episode as well, there's like local news in there that was so much fun. I forget what it is exactly now, but there's like a roundup of, oh yeah, it's, it's a, a series of news bongs about the police um, looking for a man with a giant tennis racket. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and other hilarious things. But no, I mean, yeah, exactly. And Savvy always, she says to me like, Dad, I want to be on the show. And I'm like, you're not, you're not as good as Steve. You don't know as much about come, come back to me when you know where we get the name Stockwell from. Um, thanks very much to both of you uh, on behalf of the South London Hardcore Extended Universe. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's an absolute pleasure. And uh, I hope that we get the occasional mini-series every now and again um, with bits and pieces and, you know, maybe some of those 45 songs... Maybe you get Stormzy on. Like, yeah. You've got big uh, plans for us, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much. Oh, you're welcome, Paul. Thanks, Paul. It's been an honour. Yeah, that's what I mean. You're welcome. Across thanks. The, uh, <laughs> across the uh, life of the show. And uh, thank you so much for doing this today. Mm -hmm.